Welcome to episode 35 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I'm going to discuss the advantages and disadvantages of three types of Bible study resources. Let's dive in. Last week, I talked about three key resources that you should consider using in your Bible study. And if you want to know what those are, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 34. But this week, I want to talk about three different types or places where you can find good resources for Bible study and discuss the advantages and the disadvantages for each of them. Now, first off, if you aren't studying your Bible, I highly encourage you to do so. If you need help on how to get started, I've written dozens of articles that walk you through the basics, which you can read for free at deeperchristian.com forward slash Bible. Now, you also may want to check out a free book that I wrote last year called The Five Pillars of Christian Growth. There's an entire chapter talking about Bible study and a good way to do it. Now, you can download your own free copy of the book by going to deeperchristian.com and clicking on the free resources tab at the top right of the page. And for those who are interested, I am finishing up writing a book just on saturation Bible study, which I am so excited about, and I hope to have it finished and ready for purchase before the end of the year. Well, let's get to the topic at hand. I want to discuss three places where you can find great Bible study resources and the advantages and disadvantages for each of these. Well, let's dive in. Uh, The first type or the first place of great Bible study resources is that of in print. It's the physical resource. For example, you go into the local Christian bookstore or you hop on Amazon. it's, It's the books that you actually hold in your hand. It's the thing that you put on your bookshelf. So these are really great to have. And let me give you a couple advantages. Number one, one of the great advantages of having a print or a physical copy of a resource is that and this is a little vain, but it looks great on your book bookshelf. See, I, I love having books in my library. I, I love just walking into my library and just going, wow, look at all these great books. And just having them physically is a reminder, hey, I should probably pick that up and look at it. And I have a lot of books digitally, but the problem is, is it's hard to keep them constantly in the forefront of your mind. So having a physical copy of a resource just keeps it front and center. Now, another advantage is that you don't have to be connected online. Now, obviously, this is a huge advantage if you have bad Wi-Fi or if you're going to be traveling somewhere and you're going to be in the middle of the woods. So just having the physical is great. And if you're one of those people who love holding books, then obviously that would be an advantage as well. Now, an additional advantage for a print or a physical resource is the fact that you can actually write notes in the margins. You can underline, you can highlight. And though that is possible in a lot of the digital resources today, There is something special about actually engaging and involving yourself in a book while you read it by taking pen to paper and actually jotting down notes or ideas. Now, a few of the disadvantages for imprint or physical resources is that they tend to be very heavy and rather clunky. I don't know if you ever try to carry a stack of, you know, physical resources to the coffee shop, but wow, they can get really heavy and a rather tall stack pretty quickly. Now, it's also hard to search for key information in them. Now, obviously, you could you could flip to the back of the book and see if there's a, you know, an index for topics. But otherwise, typically, you have to read the entire thing or try to do the best you can for scanning and, and figuring out what chapter it may be in. So that would be obviously at a disadvantage 
for a physical print resource. They also take up a lot of space, uh, whether it be on your bookshelf itself or whether it be in, in your bag as you travel. Also, physical resources a lot of times cost more than digital versions of that same resource. So those are some advantages and disadvantages for the physical or imprint resources. So let me shift to number two, which is online resources. Now, if you're not taking advantage of online resources, I would say you really should start using them. There's a lot of great free tools today that you have access to. For example, blueletterbible.org is probably my favorite. It's rather easy to use. It's really clean. It doesn't have a lot of advertisement stuff. And it's just it just works. Uh, there's other stuff like biblestudytools.com or biblearc.com. And obviously, there's a lot of apps for your smartphones and devices. So let's talk about some of the advantages of online resources. One advantage of these online resources is that it actually gives you greater opportunity for searching. In other words, say you open up a, a dictionary or you open up a commentary. When it's online, you can actually search for words or topics a lot easier than the print version. It also gives you access to easy to use resources. And a lot of these are free or really, really cheap. So that's obviously a huge, huge advantage. And I would say that my personal opinion is, is that online resources is a great place for beginners who are starting to do Bible study. In other words, you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to get the book versions. You don't have to try to clunk your way through it and flip through pages. In other words, opening up something like blueletterbible.org is a great place to begin to know how to do Bible study. It gives you access to great resources for free and just kind of get your feet wet, if you will. And then you can decide, well, do I need something beyond this or is this even sufficient? Now, some of the disadvantages to online resources, number one, obviously you must be connected online and that could be a challenge depending on where you're at or, or where you enjoy studying. It also takes time to learn how to use these resources. In other words, it's not just picking a book off a shelf and open up to a page and reading. You got to at least know at some level how to use the online resource. Another disadvantage is that though you have access to these great tools, a lot of times you don't have access to a lot of resources within the online system. In other words, you may have some key commentaries or a key dictionary or two, but you don't have a lot to work with unless you purchase more. And a lot of that's just not available online yet, unless you're working through some sort of a cloud system. Also, I've noticed that some people tend to read differently when it's on a screen than when it's in print. And so again, this may just be more individual, uh, but just note that some people, it's harder to read things on a screen than say in a text on uh, in a book. And a last disadvantage for online resources is the fact that you are potentially being wooed into distraction. In other words, if, if I have to go online to, to do my Bible study and there's all these you know other opportunities for like Facebook and social media and, oh, there's that one website I was supposed to check out yesterday and so there's just potential distractions when you're online. So again, those are some advantages and disadvantages for online resources. But again, it's a great place if you're beginning to do Bible study to at least start with. Now, number three, another option or a tie for where you can get great Bible resources is computer programs. So there's a lot of great computer programs out there that you may want to consider. For example, uh, Logos or Logos, however you want to pronounce that, PC Study Bible, Accordance, uh, e-sword or Mac sword. 
So those are just some great computer program options. Now, let me give you some advantages. Now, with most of the computer programs, there is really powerful search capabilities. I mean, there's some really neat stuff you can do searching search-wise uh, when it's a computer program. Now, it also gives you a ton of resources at a cheaper than print cost. And what's kind of neat is that a lot of times the search options is actually faster. You can actually do certain key things or you can look up uh, certain studies or searches a lot faster and therefore stay, save you time in your Bible study. And it gives you some unique ways of looking at the text. In other words, uh, one of my computer programs, the reason I really, really like it is the fact that it's been tagged in such a way where let's say I want to do a study of Peter every time Peter shows up in one of the Gospels. Well, I could go through and just read all the Gospels. Obviously, that's probably the best way to do it. But let's say I want to save some time, and so I just type a search for the word Peter. Now, while every passage where Peter shows the name or the word Peter shows up will, will, will appear, the problem with that is there's a lot of times where a passage will say that Jesus was talking to the 12 or Jesus was, was referring to the, the disciples and he said this. And obviously, Peter is there, but his name's not mentioned. Well, what Logos, which is the computer program that I use, what Logos will do is it actually is already tagged all the disciples in all those passages. So if I want to do a character study on Peter of like, okay, where does Peter show up in the Gospels? I can literally just type in a little search thing and wow, all these passages show up whether or not the word or the name Peter is actually used in that passage. So anytime that Jesus is talking to the 12 and Peter's there or it's presumed that he's there, then he shows up in that search. So there's some unique searching capabilities and there's some kind of unique things that you can do, uh, for example, with the Psalms or structure of passages and you know stuff with uh, original languages that gives you uh, insights with computer programs. Now, the disadvantages to computer programs is that you obviously have to purchase these and they can be really, really expensive. Uh, for example, I know that with Logos specifically, that's the one I know probably the best, is that, you know, you can get an entry-level Logos system for, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. But if you really want the advanced features and some of the searching capabilities, you know, this program can run easily a couple thousand dollars. And the high scholar-level program is, I think, upwards of $10,000. So you can obviously spend a lot, a lot of money in computer programs. So which is why I say you should probably, if you're going to get started in Bible study, start with the online free resources See if you're even going to use them so that, and then kind of figure out what you'd actually like in a computer program before you go off and just purchase one. Now, some of the other disadvantages for computer programs is that they're often complex and have a learning curve. For example, Logos, though there's, there's, though there's some great learning tutorials, basically to learn the program, you just got to buy some training and the training itself can run a couple hundred dollars. Why? Because the computer program is so complex and it allows you to do so many things, you just need to learn how to use it. It, is, it has a huge learning curve. Now, some of the other disadvantages is the fact that most people have a ton of resources in their computer programs that they never use or perhaps will never use. And a similar one is the fact that they don't utilize a lot of the program's capabilities. In other words, it would have been sufficient for them just to use a free online resource like Blue Letter Bible. So just take that into consideration if you're pondering a computer program. Now, as I've said time and time again in both articles as well as on this podcast, you don't really need resources. All you need to study the word is the word of God itself. 
Why? Because the author himself, God, via the Holy Spirit, lives inside of your life if you're a Christian. And if you have the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the book that you're studying, you can literally come to the author and say, oh, God, will you will you illuminate this text? Would you give me insight and understanding of what you were writing? Now, as I mentioned last week, you live in the most incredible time, perhaps in all of human history, because we have more access to the Bible in terms of the technological advances of, of study, uh, the resources and, you know, the dictionaries and encyclopedias than ever before in human history. In other words, if, if I wanted to learn original languages, even 50 years ago, I would have had to actually learn Greek and Hebrew, maybe even Latin. But now I can use resources that give me access to original language information without actually having to know the original language itself. Now, that is a disadvantage, and hey, I encourage you, learn Greek, learn Hebrew, even learn Latin if you want. But if you want to just begin to take greater steps in your Bible study, see, again, Bible study is like an onion. As I get into Bible study, I don't want to just be content with what's on the surface. See, I want to peel back the onion of God's word and go as deep as I possibly can. So, hey, if I can, you know, if I can study original languages or if I can look at the grammar or if, or if I can dive deep into the, some of the syntax and do some word studies, that's going to help me understand the word at a greater level. Now, the easiest of, the, of how to do that in terms of the grammar and the, the original languages it would obviously be the online resources or a computer program. It's a lot easier to use those kind of tools than a book that's sitting right in front of you. And as I've already said a couple of times, if you're just beginning, I would encourage you to use a free online resource like Blue Letter Bible. Doesn't this sound like an ad for Blue Letter Bible? It's blueletterbible.org. See, using something like Blue Letter Bible is really helpful because, number one, it's free. And number two, it gives you enough tools to begin to study and go to another layer of that onion of the Word of God. And if you find the light and you figure out, wow, I'd really love to dive deeper into some of this stuff, and I just, Blue Letter Bible just doesn't let me do that. Well, then consider spending some money on a computer program. That's actually what I did. I love Blue Letter Bible. I've used it for years. And yet there's certain key things that it doesn't allow me to do that I really want to study. And so I saved some money and, uh, you know, sold a kidney basically and bought Logos. But wow, has it been worth it. I love studying using my computer program. Now, again, you don't need to buy a lot. You know, you don't need to buy resources. You don't need to spend a ton of, a ton of money on a computer program. In fact, all you need is just Jesus and the word. But hey, you live in a time and age where you have great access to some of these tools and resources. So I would say take advantage of those. And again, whether you want to use a print resource and actually buy a book, hey, that's a, hey, that, that could be great for you. Or whether you use an, a free online resource or whether you decide to spend a whole bunch of money and buy a computer program, either way, I would encourage you, since you have access to them, why don't you use the resources that is available to you in this modern day? Either way, can I just freshly encourage you as a believer, get into the word. See, your interaction with the word of God is just paramount to your life and your vitality and your, your spiritual health and growth as a Christian. In other words, if you are not getting into the word, it, it's like you're not eating physically and if you, hey, if you went a couple of weeks without eating, we'd look at you and say, wow, you're, you're wasting away. And the same thing's true in your spiritual life. If you are not eating of the word of God on a consistent basis, well, then you're just 
shrinking. You're, you're just shriveling up and wow, you're, you're wasting away. So can I encourage you, whether you use resources or not, and again, you might as well use them if they're available to you, but get into the word, allow the author to illuminate the text and give you insight and wisdom and the knowledge of who he is. Well, in the Bravehearted Voices segment, we are going to listen this week to a clip from a tremendous sermon by Paris Reedhead called So Great Salvation. In this sermon, Reedhead talks about what is salvation and the fact that it is far more than just mere forgiveness. It actually encompasses a whole lot more. So let's just listen to this short clip of Paris Reedhead from the sermon called So Great Salvation. Now notice also. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Obviously, our temp temptation would be here to say, oh, salvation. That means pardon from sin. But you know the word salvation is a, an immense word, far greater than we generally associate with it. If you will take that word and trace it through the New Testament, you will find that there are actually four tenses of salvation. Tense, in this sense, I use the word. There's the past perfect tense, the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. Now, let me explain. The past perfect tense. I have been saved from the pleasure of sin. Repentance. The past tense. I was saved from the penalty of sin. Justification. I am being saved from the power of sin. Sanctification. I shall be saved from the presence of sin. Glorification. Now, if somebody comes to you and says, Are you saved, brother, sister? You would be quite in order to say, How do you mean? I have been, I was, I am being, and I shall be. Now, let's talk about the one you're interested in. The word saved has been generally compressed by us to be equivalent to forgiveness. But the word in its use in the Bible is far larger, far more inclusive than just pardon. For instance, you find Paul saying something like this. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Sounds strange, doesn't it? If he has saved us by his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? And we find that the word saved is an immense word, just as the word sanctification is an immense word. In other words, John said to his generation, repent, because repentance is the means whereby the barrier between you and God is removed, and the end of God's grace is to bring you into fellowship with God, not simply to take you to heaven. Now, here's a misconception that carries along with what we've been discussing. Too many people have felt that God's, God's great purpose in grace was to take us to heaven when we die. God's great purpose in grace is not just to take us to heaven when we die. It is to save us from sin. It is to make us like Jesus Christ. It is to bring us into vital, living, warm, experiential fellowship with him now during the days of our pilgrimage. And then, because he's already brought heaven to us, it'll be a simple matter for him to take us to heaven. But heaven was to begin in our hearts. 
The thing that makes heaven heavenly is not the mansion, not the street of gold, not the river of life, and not the harps in which the angels will play. The thing that makes heaven heavenly is the revelation of God without restriction or inhibition or anything to obscure Him. And therefore, God's purpose in grace isn't just to give us a ticket to a place, but our pur- His purpose is to bring that the atmosphere and the government and the blessing of that place to our hearts by bringing the person who will make the place heavenly to our hearts. Now, if this is the case, then we'll understand that everything that the Lord Jesus provided is important. Everything that was included in his cross work was important. And you can't sit back and say, well, I'm justified, I'm pardoned, I'm forgiven. That is salvation. And I have that, and I have what he came to bring, and I know he's left a few little heights for people to scale one way or another, but as far as I'm concerned, I have the important thing. What is important? Everything is important. Everything he intended, everything he provided, everything that was procured by the shedding of his blood. And therefore, how are we going to escape if we neglect anything that God intended to be ours? Yes, there ought to come into every heart an avid hunger to have all that the Lord Jesus died to make ours, to be all that he intended us to be, and to experience everything that was ours. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full-length sermon of Paris Reedhead Sermon, as well as download a free copy of the book that I mentioned earlier, The Five Pillars of Christian Growth, as well as see a list of a whole bunch of other articles and resources on how you can study the Bible and grow deeper in your walk with Christ, then I would encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode at deeperchristian.com forward slash 35 for episode number 35. Now, until next time, Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.